This is Northwest This Week with your host, Mark Christopher. Welcome to Northwest This Week, ending here for the week of October the 1st. It's budget season across the Northwest. We've seen proposals from Seattle and Snohomish County. An eye-opening number put to the cost of a starter home in Seattle. Where do you hear that story? And the possibility of selling beer in vending machines? Just again, a fraction of some of the stories we've taken off of the news desk here of our award-winning staff. And for you to catch up the stories maybe you missed, you only got a headline or two or just had that busy of a week, let's get you started and let's get right to our first story. It's good to have you with us. The city of Seattle has a proposed budget. Mayor Bruce Harrell unveiling plans this past week. Among Harrell's proposals is spending $20 million on Green New Deal investments, $17 million on small business and economic revitalization, and $88 million on the Regional Homelessness Authority. We're able to propose a budget that sustains high-quality city services that our residents expect. But one of the biggest chunks of his budget is spending nearly a quarter billion dollars to support affordable housing. Harrell says his budget addresses what he calls the urgent needs of the hour, but it is the city council that will have the final say on how the money is spent. Jeff Pogela, Northwest News Radio. In Everett, Snohomish County releasing a budget heavy on fighting crime, fixing roads, and pushing it back against the opioid crisis. For this story, John Libertini. In Snohomish County, the 2023 budget comes with one big advantage, in the words of County Executive Dave Summers. The federal government granted Snohomish County an additional $80 million of pandemic recovery funding. These one-time dollars can be used for strategic, long-term investments and giving us leverage to achieve even more. Like spending more money on body-worn cameras for sheriff's deputies, two new prosecuting attorneys, and two new judges. The public has a right to expect those who commit crimes be held accountable. Our residents also deserve to know that domestic violence, drug trafficking, and other threats to public safety are taken seriously. 75% of this budget is going to improve law and justice, but it's the opioid crisis that's taken a sinister turn in the past year. One of the greatest single threats facing our residents is the flood of fentanyl into our streets. Fentanyl is 100 times stronger than morphine. In fact, we have heard that in Snohomish County, fentanyl pills sell for a dollar or two. In other parts of the country, they can go for $30. Snohomish County is investing in its child care workforce, homelessness, and behavioral health, and $27 million is going to new road construction. For 13 projects and continue to provide maintenance for our transportation infrastructure, which includes over 1,600 miles of roads, 205 bridges, 200 signals. Since 2016, we have invested over $700 million constructing and maintaining our county roadways. There's also money for a mountain bike park and trail restoration. John Libertini, Northwest News Radio. And with budgets in mind, school districts across the state asking the federal government to give them more time to spend billions in federal relief dollars provided during the pandemic. According to Crosscut, Washington's K-12 schools have spent about half of the $2.6 billion in relief dollars they received. Administrators now worry the deadlines set in 2025 will cut short projects addressing lost academic progress, student mental health, and air quality. More than 40 administrators from our state joined many other across the country, signing on to an August 29th letter to the U.S. Department of Education asking for more time to spend the money. They blame shortages in construction, labor, and materials stuck in the supply chain. To this point, the federal government has said it will offer districts a chance to apply for case-by-case extensions. 
Carlene Johnson, Northwest News Radio. And latest to President Joe Biden's plan to cancel thousands of dollars in student loan debt for millions of Americans comes at a cost. The nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office estimate rings in at about $400 billion. It's a story Jeff Stein working on for the Washington Post and shared with our listeners. Jeff, why is the impact of this loan forgiveness plan a little more complicated to calculate than other spending policies that the White House has released? Yeah, it's a good question and a difficult one to explain succinctly on the radio. The thing that's going on here that makes this complicated is that these are loan obligations that were expected to be paid back. And unlike a tax policy change or a spending policy change, this really depends on your assumptions about what percentage of these loans would have been paid back. And so a lot of the proponents of this plan have been saying that the CBO's report, that $400 billion number you cited, overstates how expensive this is because people were so crushed by debt that they weren't going to pay that stuff back anyway. And so that set off this really intense debate that we're now seeing play out where the administration is sort of saying, look, this number sounds big, but it's probably an overstatement. And you know, even if it wasn't, you know, it's still a lot smaller than the Republican Tax Act and other spending provisions. Is there anything missing from this equation, though, from the the CBO? Is there? Do they calculate in the potential economic benefit of these students that suddenly wouldn't have as much debt? That's a good question. I don't think so. I mean, I think the report would have flagged only pretty marginal, you know, benefits. In, in you know, the, the CBO's job is to figure out the impact on the deficit, not the overall economic impact. That's what they were asked to do. They weren't looking at what it means for household formation or what people, you know, their their balance sheets or their ability to um, buy a home. They're just looking at the federal deficit impact. And there is a way in which I'm sure that, that the deficit impact will be partially mitigated by these people making more money and paying more taxes, but it will be really small, probably a rounding error on the over four, overall $400 billion Finally, Jeff, did the CBO calculate how much it would cost for the president to, instead of canceling debt, just further extend the pause on student loan payments? Yeah, the CBO found that it's about $20 billion for the, for the moratorium to be extended for the next three months. So you can run that forward and figure out the numbers, which I'm uh, less able to do on the fly. That's, you know, a much smaller number. But if it were to have happened indefinitely, um, you know, it could begin to catch up over time with, with the amount canceled. Jeff Stein with us on Northwest News Radio, reporter for The Washington Post, covering economic policy and the White House. You can find much more online at WashingtonPost.com. Taylor Van Sice of Northwest News. A new partnership will help reduce food insecurity in Tacoma. DoorDash is partnering with Tacoma Mayor Victoria Woodards and other mayors nationwide to broaden food access through direct funding for food delivery and providing support for organizations fighting hunger. The announcement came as part of the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition and Health, which is gathering public and private institutions around a coordinated strategy to end hunger. The conference's ultimate goal is to solve hunger in the U.S. by 2030. Kathy O'Shea, Northwest News Radio. And staying on the topic of food, the baby formula crisis continues. Manda Factor tells us a lawmaker from our state is trying to do something about it, too. Across the country, out-of-stock rates on baby formula stand at 61%, 67% here in Washington, and metro areas are hit harder. Seattle's average out-of-stock rate is 79%. Congresswoman Susan Delbene is among a group of lawmakers that has introduced legislation that would boost domestic baby formula production and get more product on shelves. The Bulk Infant Formula to Retail Shelves Act would temporarily lift tariffs on safe imported base powder. That's a key component that's mixed with nutrients and other ingredients to make the formula that parents buy on store shelves or online. Manda Factor, Northwest News Radio. Thank you, Manda. The union representing some workers at the
the Port of Olympia has filed four unfair labor practice charges against the agency. The Longshore and Warehouse Union represents a variety of port workers, but a new unit is bargaining for maintenance, technical, and operations workers. And tensions were on display at the Port Commissioner's meeting Monday night, according to the Olympian. Some of the union members claim they were denied overtime pay for helping clear snow off the marine terminal. Others claim their promotions and raises were delayed. And another complaint says some union members were not allowed to participate in a community event organized by the port. The port commissioner said during Monday's meeting they could not comment publicly on negotiations. Greg Herschelt, Northwest News Radio. Just ahead on our next segment, we'll cover a couple of stories that got our attention here when it comes to housing in our area. Seattle Starter Home, more expensive than you think. You might be surprised. And if you're wondering the best rent in areas of the Puget Sound on your budget, stay tuned. Some people have spent two years waiting for this train. Now the Amtrak run from Seattle to Vancouver, B.C. has finally left the station. Known as one of the more scenic rides on a train, by the way. A handful of passengers stood on the platform at Everett Station as the Amtrak Cascades pulled in for the first time since early in the pandemic. Vancouver, British Columbia. A voice from the public address system. This is the first train in a long time going across the border to Vancouver, B.C., so we're super After a two-year COVID-related pause, the Amtrak Cascades is finally resuming service to Canada. Congressman Rick Larson, Democrat from Arlington, was there to ride a short portion of today's run. It's a run between two of the the great cities in the Northwest. Uh, It's a beautiful run as well. And to remind voters, the infrastructure bill he helped pass is helping revive the dormant run. Some of today's passengers had no idea the run had ever been suspended. German tourist Ilona Mosca booked her seat just yesterday. Yeah, I guess I am pretty lucky. All lucky riders will enjoy one round trip per day from Seattle to Vancouver and back. Amtrak says it will add more runs as staffing issues are resolved. In Everett, Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. This program is for you to catch up on the stories of this past week you maybe missed out on. It's available as a podcast for your convenience anytime at our website, nwnewsradio.com. Otherwise, catch it here on radio every weekend, Saturday nights at 7 and also Sunday nights at 9. Northwest News this week, ending for the week of October 1st, continues in a moment. You're listening to Northwest This Week with Mark Christopher. Welcome back. A new report finds that starter homes in Seattle are actually less affordable than those in New York City. Realtor.com data reveals homebuyers in Seattle need to make a minimum of $170,000 a year to purchase that starter home, or over $30,000 more than those buying in New York. A starter home is nearly twice as expensive now as it was before the pandemic, pushing it out of reach for many first-time homebuyers. And Realtor.com analysts say the situation isn't likely to improve at any time in the near future. Kathy O'Shea, Northwest News Radio. Looking to rent an apartment here in the Puget Sound area, Manufacturer has some tips on where to get the most bang for your buck. Rent hikes in Tacoma have slowed down. According to Apartment List, Tacoma's year-over-year rent growth is 2.9%. That's compared to 19.8% at this time last year. According to the News Tribune, nationwide rents have increased an average of 7.5% compared with this time last year. Apartment List shows median rents in Tacoma at just over $1,250 for a one-bedroom unit. A separate report from Rent Cafe shows Puyallup is the place to upsize to a two-bedroom without being financially overwhelmed. It will add just $107 to your monthly expenses.
Manda Factor, Northwest News Radio. Starbucks hopes to begin union negotiations for hundreds of its stores, a story that Jeff Poljula provided this past week. The company sent letters to 238 stores offering a three-week window in October to start negotiations. Each of those stores, which span 36 states in the District of Columbia, has voted to unionize. The company says they look forward to negotiating a deal. But Workers United, the union representing the employees, is skeptical. Unionization of Starbucks baristas began late last year in Buffalo and has taken off nationwide. Jeff Pogel in Northwest News Radio. And moving on, the great resignation extends beyond retail and food service industries. Home health care workers are in short supply as well. This has thrown many age-in-place retirement plans into chaos. Working for a story on the Washington Post, Christopher Rowland had a closer look and shared this. You report that in many uh, age-in-place retirement plans, people are having to rethink what they were hoping for, and you focus on the Hofflander family in your story, Christopher. Uh, tell us about their situation. Uh, yeah, I visited an elderly couple in their 80s uh, in Minneapolis, um, and the husband, Mr. Uh, Tom Hofflander, has Parkinson's disease. They've been on a waiting list. For, they had been on a waiting list for over four months, uh, and leaving uh, Mrs. Hofflander, 85, as the sole caregiver, having to uh, bathe him, dress him, do all the things as his condition deteriorated uh, that a home health aide might do if they could get one. Unfortunately, so many home health aides are uh, leaving the field to go into some of those other uh, uh, fields like uh, even fast food and retail. Uh, and part of the big reason is that um, home health care pays very poorly. The uh, median uh, pay is around 14 bucks an hour. That's skilled work, though. Um, what's the federal government or, or in the Hofflanders example, the state of Minnesota doing to try and bridge the gap? Well, advocates are trying to get the state of Minnesota as a good example and uh, where, you know, Medicaid pays uh, for people who need uh, care if they qualify for Medicaid, and they will pay for home care in the home. But even uh, at the upper ends, uh, for private pay home care, there's a shortage. problem is during the pandemic, a lot of people got out of the field, a lot of the caregivers, uh, the paid caregivers, and they, uh, you know, took jobs doing other things, or they retired, or they were concerned about going into homes during the pandemic and getting infected themselves. And now that the, you know, the uh, conditions have eased on that front and the vaccines are available, uh, the workforce has not bounced back. And meanwhile, demand has soared because so many elderly people want nothing to do with nursing homes. Right they don't want to go into nursing homes, so they're hanging on at home as long as they can. Uh, and uh, subsequently, they're stuck uh, aging in place without help in many situations, and that's not a safe uh, safe or ideal situation. And I want to talk a little more about about that demand for these healthcare workers because what are you seeing as far as metrics go for Americans literally banking on the idea of being able to age in place, age at home? Yeah, well, so that was a trend that began even before the pandemic. I mean, people want, you know, they want the, the safety and security of their own home. It's where they're comfortable. They want to remain with their spouse. They don't necessarily want to have one spouse go into a nursing home. People, you know, there's been studies and surveys that show that people's uh, sense of self-worth and personal dignity are better if they stay at home. And so it's been a trend. The pandemic accelerated that. Nursing home population in the United States dropped by about 200,000 people during the pandemic. Unfortunately, a lot of those people actually died because the nursing homes had such bad outbreaks, as you know well, and Washington was one of the first ones. But then also a lot of people just stayed away. So uh, you, that's a good metric where you can see that growing demand for in-home care. 
Well, it's certainly uh, not a situation that is unfamiliar to families here in the Northwest. I mean, just about anyone you talk to, they've got somebody trying to age at home or avoid a home health care situation of some sort. You can find out much more online at WashingtonPost.com from Christopher Rowland, where he covers the business of health care. More of our top stories of the past week here, ending for December 1st. The head of the company behind Tuesday's first flight of an electric commuter plane tells the U.S. Senate committee that global certification standards should be among the priorities. Aviation of Arlington CEO Greg Davis says the FAA should work with fellow regulators around the world to create certification standards, not only for electric planes like the one that took flight at Moses Lake, but for the battery technology that powers them. Davis says with aviation emissions a rapidly growing percentage of global pollution, he says it's an opportunity for the U.S. to drive environmental progress and create American jobs. Davis also says the Department of Energy should work with the FAA on charging infrastructure. The DOE is leading the world in terms of ground vehicle battery infrastructure. There is an opportunity to tie in the Department of Energy on the expansion of aircraft charging networks to service rural and urban airports. Some committee Republicans were critical of what they say is slow movement on rulemaking by the FAA, while others say the FAA does have more work but has made progress on some rules, like for remote drone identification. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio. A third-party vendor who sells products on Amazon is challenging the retail giant over excessive site maintenance fees. The case is now before the State Court of Appeals. $192,000. That's how much Jeff Haley says Amazon docked his company, Aura Health, in so-called co-op fees. Haley took the online retailer to court, saying the fees are excessive and unpredictable, and that the case should fall under the guidelines of the Consumer Protection Act. Haley's attorney, Daniel Prince, argues the case before the State Court of Appeals. We also described in our brief the various ways that Amazon monkeys with vendors' fees and retaliates against those who speak out. Amazon attorney Ross Seiler tries to argue Haley lacks evidence for a Consumer Protection Act case, but Judge Stephen Dwyer isn't having it. He has his own testimony based on personal knowledge. I would say that's not evidence. That is a self It is evidence. Statement. The appellate court typically rules within one to six months. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. Thank you, Corwin. And why did Amazon suddenly start removing products it's been selling for years? Apparently has a lot to do with the ever-changing cannabis industry, of all things. For years, Amazon has allowed companies to sell products that could also be used as drug paraphernalia. Spice grinders and pipes are examples. And because of so much gray area... Chris Shreve is co-founder of Programmetrics, a Seattle-based ad agency with a cannabis and CBD division. And it really stems from the fact that it's still a federally illegal Schedule One substance from a national perspective. An Amazon spokesperson tells the Seattle Times, we have proactive measures in place to prevent prohibited products from being listed, including drug paraphernalia. But some argue similar products are still selling on Amazon while others have been removed. Chris Shreve. But so many states are now approving the sale of recreational cannabis and medical cannabis. There's a, a disconnect. Other social media sites, though, like Google, Meta, and Instagram, are allowing businesses to display their products but not sell them. John Lobertini, Northwest News Radio. Northwest News this week. I'm Mark Christopher. Just ahead in our next segment, beer vending machines and what is this alcohol that seems to be getting a lot of conversation right now. We'll get to those stories. Greg Herschel, though, right now has some new research revealing chemical contaminants in an edible seaweed that many indigenous people consume. 
Researchers from Western Washington University sampled 43 sites around the Salish Sea, and they found the highest concentrations around industrial sites, such as Victoria Harbor in B.C., Waterman Point near Bremerton, and Smith Cove near the Seattle Cruise Terminal. 162 different contaminants were found, the most serious being PCBs, which were banned in the U.S. more than 50 years ago, but are described as extremely long-lasting compounds. The researchers found that most of the contaminants occurred at levels too low to be a concern for human health, but enough arsenic, cadmium, and mercury was found that they suggest people reduce their intake of the dried seaweed if it was harvested at higher risk sites. Greg Hersholt, Northwest News Radio. We hope we're finding use of this program. It's Northwest News this week, ending for the week of October 1st. I'm Mark Christopher. More in a moment. You're listening to Northwest This Week. Here's Mark Christopher. Competition is fierce in the craft beer industry, and that led one ambitious entrepreneur to propose a craft beer vending machine. Air travel is stressful, so why not a craft beer from a vending machine at Spokane International? The petition states that this change is needed, quote, to open small business channels for the Washington beer industry. This is how it was described to regulatory analyst Audrey Vasek. It would rely on cloud-based internet technology to verify customers are of legal age. It's ambitious, but not unheard of. At the airport in Pullman, you can find Cougar Cheese and vending machines, cupcakes in Las Vegas, and fish-shaped waffles at SeaTac. 25 different types of retail liquor licenses available. 25 liquor licenses, and Vasek told the board, craft beer vending machines don't qualify under any of them. Retailers are allowed to sell liquor through self-checkout registers if the register is programmed to halt the transaction until an employee of the retailer intervenes and verifies the age. The liquor board rejected the idea. The beer-drinking entrepreneur was unavailable for comment. John Lobertini Northwest News Radio. A Northwest dairy farmer making a new name for himself as a distiller. It's a unique product created by his herd, and it's about to go nationwide. If you would have told Todd Coke back then where he would be today, he probably would have said you were full of... This started out as my 4-H project, and then through a series of bad decisions, uh, uh, we got to this point. Today, TMK Creamery, just outside Portland, produces a full line of ice cream and cheeses. There's something else being made from this special herd of 18. Remember the story of Little Miss Muffet? She's the one who first taught us about curds and whey. The curds become cheese and the whey, well, these days it becomes powder for protein drinks. Or it ends up in Todd's fermenter. He tells KPTV.com. You're fermenting the sugars in your whey, and then once you ferment them, then you're distilling out your alcohol. You heard right. He's taking cream direct from the cow and distilling it into booze, specifically vodka. Vodka. We call it alcohol. Wait, what? Alcohol. Vodka, by nature, is tasteless and odorless, so no, it does not taste like cheese or milk. Apparently, it's pretty good stuff. Mashed.com named Calcohol among its 30 best top-shelf vodkas. We were pretty excited about that. Not bad for the boutique dairy that found a way to cash in on its way. So I guess I said in college, if I could get my cows to make booze, like I'd be uh, on top of the world. National distribution of Calcohol from Tiny Canby, Oregon, begins this weekend. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio. Some transportation stories of the week here in this segment. Boeing and China Airlines have finalized a landmark order. 
The deal includes a firm order for the longest-range 787-9 Dreamliner, with options for eight additional jets. China Airlines now has 22 Boeing jets on order, including six 777 freighters. The airline also currently operates 10 extended-range 777s. Boeing says the deal is a milestone in its partnership with China Airlines and will play an important role in furthering the airline's sustainability efforts. Kathy O'Shea, Northwest News Radio. It's an area of downtown Seattle likely you've avoided for more than months, like maybe a year or longer. The Seattle City Council, meanwhile, endorsing the Downtown Seattle Association's plan to to revitalize the so-called area we have avoided. It happens to be 3rd Avenue. Details of the plan have not been finalized, but generally speaking, what the DSA wants to do is expand sidewalks and possibly reduce the number of lanes to better service mass transit and local businesses. Council member Lisa Herbold. This is one of the best uh, performing transit corridors in the nation, and we do not want to sacrifice that as we work to address the other challenges in that corridor. Now, 3rd Avenue has been a hotbed of crime and violence for some time, and details of the revitalization plan still need to be worked out. This resolution that the council approved simply endorses the idea that 3rd Avenue needs some significant improvements. Jeff Pogela, Northwest News Radio. And let's move on to maybe an improvement for Washington State Ferries. Kitsap Transit officials say adding more of their fast ferry service could fill the gaps left by Washington State Ferries and one particular route in mind. The state's Bremerton-Seattle route has operated on a limited schedule with only one boat assigned to the crossing for about a year and a change is not expected until next spring. Local officials have asked Governor Inslee to direct funding to Kitsap Transit so it can temporarily increase runs on its Bremerton-Seattle fast ferry route by adding six or seven round trips. The Kitsap Sun reports the governor's office says it's discussing options and are considering if adding more fast ferry runs could be one of them. Eric Heitz, Northwest News Radio. Children born from malformed ears or no ears at all, getting surgical help from a local couple for the story. Corwin Hick. The condition known as microtia affects about 1 in 10,000 kids, according to Los Angeles plastic surgeon Dr. John Reinish. Microtia is uh, defined as an absent or small ear. For reasons not fully understood, the condition is more common in underdeveloped countries, including Guatemala. That's where the Everett Herald reports Providence Medical Group surgeon Dr. Prabhat Bama and his wife, nurse practitioner Trish Bama, are now working to build small children new ears. It's not cheap. You know, my crochet surgery could come to about $40,000 a child. Dr. Vito Quatella is founder of the nonprofit Hugs Foundation, sponsoring the Bama's mission to Guatemala. The new ears are built with the child's own rib cartilage and then surgically attached. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. Stories just ahead tribal nations wanting to fight crime, and the federal government wants to help. And pain involved with oral cancer soon to be eliminated. We'll give you the latest on research. But right now, as we continue all these stories for the week of October 1st, there is an urgent need for more youth sports officials right now. In fact, Bill Schwartz looked into what's led to the shortage and how Snohomish County is trying to address it. They enforce rules meant to keep players safe and games fair. As officials, we often have to make very difficult decisions. We do it to the best of our ability. 
Without dedicated folks like Washington Officials Association President Dean Corcoran, most sports don't happen. Even before COVID, older officials were starting to quit because of low pay and verbal abuse from spectators, coaches, and athletes. It's a problem which is getting worse, says Rocky Burbeck with the Wesco Athletic Conference. We've already had 67 ejections um, in football this year in the state of Washington. Last year we had 51 at this time. The shortage of officials has created difficult decisions for Snohomish High School Athletic Director Mark Perry. Some of the things that we've been going through as athletic directors in the last couple of years is we've had to move games because of a shortage of officials. We've had to cancel games because of shortage of officials. Monroe, mom of three, Jennifer Bumpus, believes sports are a big part of the education process. Sports in schools makes it possible for them to still compete, to learn life lessons, to take with them above and beyond what that 13 years in school on public schools. Just some of the testimony at a Snohomish County Council public hearing. Council member Sam Lowe introduced a resolution which passed, calling attention to the urgent youth sports official shortage. The public understands these issues are here. And we need to get more officials and we need the officials we do have, we need to be patient with them. Uh, That's one of the things that we've seen is people haven't been patient and we can all work together to make sure that our kids have a good time and have good sportsmanship. And, and working together. Former athletes, people with a passion for sports, can reach out to the Washington Officials Association, WIAA, or any local school or league. I'm Bill Swartz, Northwest News Radio. I'm Mark Christopher. It's good to have you with us. It's Northwest News this week. We're covering all the stories of a full week here ending October the 1st. We'll be right back. Northwest This Week continues. As we continue, Washington's underfunded court system has led to an unconstitutional delay in trials, according to a lawsuit. It's no secret that Washington's justice system has been overwhelmed, and plaintiffs in this case argue that underfunding has led to an unconstitutional delay in their trials. But Assistant Attorney General Kristen Bineski says the question of funding is not one to be decided in a courtroom. Court funding is accomplished through a political budgeting process involving all three branches of state government. This lawsuit seeks to circumvent that political process. Complicating matters is the fact that these are civil cases, not criminal, and many of the constitutional provisions about a speedy trial do not necessarily apply. Nevertheless, the plaintiffs argue that something must be done about the lengthy delays in Washington's court system, and they say that starts with additional funding. Jeff Pozula, Northwest News Radio. The federal government has taken a step to help tribal nations fight crime. The Department of Justice has chosen 16 more federally recognized tribes to take part in the expansion of the Tribal Access Program for National Crime Information, or TAP. They include three in the Northwest, the Ho Indian Tribe on the Olympic Peninsula and the Puyallup and Skokomish Tribes. The program provides tribal governments with means to access, enter, and exchange data with the National Crime Information System. Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco says, among other things, these tribes will now be able to register sex offenders, protect victims of domestic violence, and help find missing people. Amanda Factor, Northwest News Radio. Thanks, Amanda. The family of an Everett police officer who committed suicide is locked in a years-long battle over benefits. Carwin Hake looking into Officer Sunny Taylor, who took her own life after an evaluation concluded she needed psychological help. Taylor died by her own hand in June 2020. She was 35 and had been an Everett officer for 14 years. Lately, she had been struggling with PTSD from the stress of her job. The Everett Herald reports her her suicide came the day after a psychologist report said she needed 10 to 12 weeks of, quote, psychological intervention. 
Now the Herald reports the city of Everett is protesting a State Department of Labor and Industries ruling. LNI concluded the policing job was responsible for Taylor's emotional trauma and that Everett should pay Taylor's family thousands of dollars a month in lieu of what would have been Taylor's salary. Everett's decision to challenge the ruling upsets Taylor's family. Her husband, Jay Taylor, and Everett Police Sergeant tells the Herald the city will not take care of you if they think there's a way they can get out of it. In an email to the Herald, city spokesperson Julio Cortez writes, Everett is committed to focusing resources on employee safety and wellness. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. Some of the stories we had this past week involving fires here, two years after the devastating Sumner Grade fire in East Pierce County. Insurance companies for families impacted by the fire are suing Puget Sound Energy. Carlene Johnson with this story. Liberty Mutual and Safeco Insurance filed the lawsuit earlier this month in Pierce County Superior Court. The News Tribune reports the companies provided property and casualty insurance to nine people, including the residents from two of the homes lost in the September 2024 fire, which overwhelmed local fire crews. I got a call from our duty sergeant. We had a fire in the city that had started likely from the wind that knocked a tree onto a transformer, had ignited a large area and was immediately threatening homes. Now, PSE owns and manages the power lines and transformers, and the lawsuit alleges that PSE should have removed hazards near its electrical equipment, like trees and branches. PSE had no comment because of the lawsuit. In all, seven homes and 16 other buildings were lost in the fire. Carlene Johnson, Northwest News Radio. Taking health care into the classroom, Meadowdale High School in Linwood, now among the chosen few to have a student-based health care center. This was more than a ribbon cutting. It was a new beginning for students. Even before the pandemic, we saw that mental health needle rise. Mara Morano-Bianco is director of student health in the Edmond School District. At the age of 13 and 14 can consent to their own mental health care. And so if there is a kid who is suffering, there's no wrong door approach. Doors that led to immunizations, mental and behavioral health treatment, and age-appropriate reproductive health services. Assistant Superintendent Dana Gieselin says some students were missing school because they had no health care. To have care right here at the school setting, they're able to access it, they're able to get back to class, they're able to continue to learn, and I think that's the most critical piece. Meadowdale High is one of just 65 statewide to house a student-based health center, and best of all, it's free for all of these students. John Lobertini, Northwest News Radio. A painful ordeal for patients suspected of oral cancer we're seeing could be eliminated It has to do with emerging technology. Here's Kathy O'Shea. Two companies have developed saliva tests to identify oral cancer biomarkers. Dr. Brittany Barber, head and neck surgeon at UW Medicine, says the way it's diagnosed is typically with a biopsy, which can be painful and difficult to do in the office. So the new diagnostics would be very useful and a lot more comfortable for the patient. I think this could be game-changing for lesions that are really difficult to discern or in patients where they've had multiple biopsies or multiple surgeries. While neither has won full U.S. approval, one has earned the FDA's breakthrough device designation and is sold by the manufacturer. Kathy O'Shea, Northwest News Radio. As baseball fans all look for signs of the Mariners and their need to win, boy, was there one story we found we're going to share just ahead. You'll want to hear this. Also, Washington State about to spend $76 million 
million on fish, specifically on projects to restore salmon habitat. Ryan Harris tells us about these new grants and how they'll be utilized. The biggest single round of grants in state history will go for all kinds of projects around the state, from culvert removal to moving levees back from riverbanks and even several bridges, including a change to Highway 24 near Yakima that will better allow the Yakima River to move through that area. Mark Dubojski with the state's Recovery and Conservation Office says the focus is often on rivers in and around Puget Sound and the Olympic Peninsula. That's where the orcas, the residents and transients are, are primarily at. However, it's important to restore uh, our, our coastal river watersheds and lower Columbia too because the orcas migrate up and down the Washington, Oregon coast. Dubojski says even more money for other projects will go out later this year. He says they're watching for a spike in fish return numbers because he says a pandemic lull in harvesting might give them a little boost. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio. I'm Mark Christopher. It's Northwest News this week, ending for the week of October 1st. We have more to share. You're listening to Northwest This Week. In all directions, perhaps you're seeing signs of winning as an attitude for our Seattle Mariners. And boy, was there a big sign about the seriousness of winning this past week. Give a listen. It starts now, and it started, you know, the beginning of this season, and what we're seeing over the course of the season is very exciting. M's team president and architect Jerry Depoto announcing a five-year contract extension worth a reported $108 million for Luis Castillo. That's on top of a mega deal for rookie center fielder Julio Rodriguez. Depoto says Castillo checks all the right boxes. You know, Luis is one of the best pitchers in baseball, and and has been for quite some time, and. You know what he's done since he's been in Seattle reinforced for us that that he fit. Seattle gave up four of its best prospects to Cincinnati to get Castillo, and he made an instant impact in his first Mariners home game against the big bad Bronx Bombers. Right to Frazier, on to first. Wow. Luis Castillo in his Seattle debut inside his new home ballpark slays the evil empire over eight scoreless. Through his interpreter, Luis Castillo says energy from Mariner fans impressed him. I haven't really pitched that much in some type of atmosphere like that with these kind of fans. And, you know, lucky enough, I was able to go out there. The most important thing was I went out there and gave the best that I could, what I had in my arm. And, you know, blessed. And thank God we were able to give up the win. Over the past two decades of frustration and futility, Seattle baseball fans have questioned whether ownership was truly interested in building a consistent championship contender. Luis Castillo is convinced the playoffs and championship banners are not far away. Para si tener eh, la oportunidad de llevar el equipo lo más lejos que podamos. Very happy, very happy that I'm finally able to join this family long term. Um, Got to give everything my all, um, my heart and everything. And if we're prepared to win the World Series, then, you know, let's get out there and do it. No arguments here. I'm Bill Swartz, Northwest News Radio. If you've lived in the Pacific Northwest for any amount of time, chances are you've scarfed some gorp, a raisin and nut-based trail snack. Now the meaning of the word gorp has expanded to include a general sense of outdoorsy Northwest style. What does this mean? You're about to find out. Look up Gorp Core on Pinterest and you're confronted with images of hiking outfits, stainless steel thermoses, rugged boots, and more of the stuff you'll find on local mountain trails or, let's face it, the streets of Wallingford. 
From fashion blogger What's the Hype, we learn... Gorecore style has been pretty popular for a while now, and I think it's justified. It's functional and looks good on any body type, in my opinion. On video blog The Intro, Reggie Casual warns, these days your key Gorecore fashion pieces come from Japan and would not last long hiking Mount Rainier's Wonderland Trail. Wider silhouettes, the increase in minimalism, and frankly, the stuff that just isn't made for outdoors. It's just the look. In a new Esquire magazine piece, writer Andrew Matson tells us Seattle is a style capital, thanks to what he calls the current menswear zeitgeist of grunge and gorp going back to the 1990s. In truth, Seattle's 90s bands rocked the gorp core not to set a trend, but because it's warm and dry and cheap if, like Macklemore, you shop at the Goodwill. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. Uh, Suddenly like you, yeah, I've got a craving for some trail mix after that story. Thank you, Corwin. Northwest News this week. It's heard every week here at this very time on radio. Saturday nights at 7, also Sunday nights at 9. If you'd like to find it at your convenience and catch up to the stories of the past week, and it's where we archive as well, go to our website at nwnewsradio.com as we provide it as a podcast. Again, nwnewsradio.com. And if you prefer this as a podcast, we hope you'll share our rating and review. It just takes a few seconds at Apple Podcasts. And thank you. We appreciate that if you do. Northwest News this week, produced by Bill O'Neill, stepping in for Painter Webb. Thank you, Mike Siebert, editor and tech advisor. I'm Mark Christopher. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. 